Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. There we go. Thank you. Good morning. Um, like Ben said, my name is Justin. I have the pleasure of serving here at City Refuge as um, the operations director. I'm like, what do I do here? Um, there you go. Um, but I'm so glad to be with you all this morning. I'm excited to be uh, not only uh, here to worship you all, but to bring God's word um, to you this morning. Um, some quick announcements uh, before we get started. This Wednesday, we'll be having our Bible study. Again, uh, since we're in the great heat wave of 2023, we endured the great blizzard of 2022. We're now in the heat wave. We'll be meeting here in the sanctuary Wednesday night. Fellowship starts at 6.30, and then we'll dive into the Word at 7 o'clock. Um, but that's here in the back um, where Avery is. Also, this coming Saturday, we'll have Women's Fellowship. I think it's at 10 a.m. It's 10 a.m., yes. Um, if you have questions about that, you can see Viv or Jess, um, and they can put you in the group, me, and pass along all the information um, that you need there. Finally, one quick thing that is not on your bulletin, per se. Our website has been down the past week and a half as we try to transition from one server to the next or something like that. I'm not really sure how it works. Um, you can still give online, but there's a link you can use in the bulletin. It's a longer link than normal. Um, but once the website gets back online, well, I'll update that, and we'll let you know when that happens. But you can't find anything online just yet, uh, but you can still give through that particular link that's in the bulletin. Well, that being said, we're continuing a deep dive into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians this morning. And over the past few months, we've seen how the Corinthian churches struggled together as a family trying to be together and to live together under the lordship of Christ. And what could be considered a letter that brings order and structure to the church family, Paul is laying out gospel-centered advice and gospel-centered principles on how these Christians can live together, not only as a united family, but also living a life devoted wholly to Christ. Throughout this letter, Paul's been breaking down the Corinthian pride and arrogance as he shows them that having the right knowledge or having the right relationships don't make them more spiritual. That it's only through Christ and Christ crucified that they become spiritual. Furthermore, Paul makes a case that the Corinthians has been freed from living in the world because of what Christ has done. And the same is true for us today. Therefore, the Corinthians, and we no longer have to live a life of immorality or, or live a life in trying to pursue the things of this world because we can pursue the things of Christ as he equips us and empowers us to do those things. Last week, we looked at chapter 8, which begins a new section where Paul is beginning to address idolatry. There, Paul showed us in chapter 8 that our knowledge of what was lawful when unlawful doesn't make us spiritual. And we don't want our own knowledge to become a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters. That sometimes we have to lay down our knowledge for the sake of loving others. And as we continue, or this serves as a backdrop of what we'll see this morning, where Paul makes a case that the rights that the Corinthians have shouldn't surpass the importance of proclaiming the gospel. That these rights that they have shouldn't surpass loving one another. But before we consider what God will say through us, what he has already spoken to us through his word, will we pray with me that God's spirit will illuminate our eyes to the text and give us understanding of what he has for us this morning. 
Well, Heavenly Father, you tell us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word endures forever. God, we praise you and thank you that you continue to speak to your people and that you have preserved your word for centuries. And Lord, by doing so, that you ensure that we'll be able to hear your voice still to this day. God, you also tell us that your word is true and that it's capable of teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training up in righteousness. And Lord, all this happens so that the man of God will be made complete, equipped for every good work. And Lord Jesus, we pray now that your spirit will be with us and reveal to us the things of scripture so that we're built up and equipped for every good work and that you will prune and refine us through correction, teaching, and rebuking. As we hear from you this day, Lord, we ask that you'll work in us that which we can't do on our own, that you'll help us draw nearer to you, Lord, that you'll show us your strength, that you'll show us your comfort, that you'll show us your steadiness. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that we'll rest upon you and you alone. And God, I pray that all the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. And Lord, I, I just think of what Proverbs says, that our words uh, are to be calculated, that we speak words of kindness, for these kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and bring healing to the body. And Lord, I pray that my words will be kind, and my words will be gentle, that they'll be full of love. But above all, Lord, I pray that you will show yourself to us this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray and ask all these things in your holy name. Amen. Well, the title of today's sermon is That Others May Live. That Others May Live. And this is not only the title of my sermon today, but it's also the motto of Coast Guard Rescue Swimmers. These are the people who jump out of helicopters and swim in the craziest of conditions as they save people that are stranded in the water. And growing up, these individuals were so impactful to me that I, I wanted to be with them, that I wanted to be the guy that would go out in these crazy conditions in the freezing Alaskan waters to save people and to rescue them. Although I, I didn't see myself being a rescue swimmer per se, I wanted to be the guy that flew the helicopters that would take out these rescue swimmers to do these amazing rescues. And, and I say all this because of this interest that I had, this desire that I had to be in the Coast Guard led me to watch the, the movie The Guardian that was released in 2006. If you haven't seen it, The Guardian is a story that highlights the life of two Coast Guard rescue swimmers. One of them is Senior Chief uh, Ben Randall, who is played by Kevin Costner, and he's a seasoned rescue swimmer that trains other rescue swimmers. And then there's another rescue swimmer, Petty Officer Jake Fisher, who was played by Ashton, Ashton Kutcher, and he was just beginning his career as a rescue swimmer. Now, there's much that happens in this movie, but things don't really become super exciting until the end. Not, that's not to detract you from watching the movie, it's so great, but know that it's a little slow to get there. But while Fisher is serving in Kodiak, Alaska, he's called to help the fishermen that have been stranded in, in the waters. And as the, the scene pans in on this boat that's being tossed around by the waves and the wind is blowing against the ship, as Fisher's trying to save these men, he becomes trapped in, in, the, in the boat. And upon hearing this, Senior Chief Randall begins to, to go out, that he's put on another helicopter to go save Fisher and to pull him out of the trapped vessel. And as he does that, things seem to be going well until the unthinkable happens. And that's when the cable that's pulling up both of these two rescue swimmers begins to break. And upon seeing this, Randall begins to climb up on the, on the hook of the, the cable. He unhooks himself and then 
falls down. He lets go of the cable so that Fisher can live. And this, by doing this, Fisher's able to not only save, Fisher's life is not only saved, but he's able to save the lives of other people as he goes back out into the sea to, to rescue the fishermen that are trapped. And as sad as the ending of The Guardian is, it demonstrates how far someone is willing to go in order to save another person's life. In a sense, Senior Chief Randall gave up his own right to life so that others may live. And this idea of giving up one's own life for the sake of someone else is commendable. And it's one of the greatest acts of service that anyone can do. But can you imagine what life would be like if that never happened? These people never gave up their own right to life for the sake of someone else. Can you imagine what it would be like if people were never willing to risk their own right to comfort and safety for the sake of someone else? Can you imagine what it would be like if people were willing to give up their own right of being right in order to love someone else? These are the very issues that Paul seemed to address in chapter 9. And as I mentioned earlier, the Corinthian church was battling against pride and arrogance. And as a result, many were unwilling to give up their own rights and privileges, even if it meant costing the life of someone else. They were failing to give up their own rights and privileges to those who were inside and out of the church, that they're so in tuned on trying to pursue their own knowledge and their own, their own status that it's beginning to smell like the stench of death. In this section, Paul will continue his thought from the previous chapter that at the end of chapter 8 in verse 13... He says that we should give up the ability to eat meat if it kept, that he would give up the ability to eat meat for the rest of his life if it meant that his brothers and sisters wouldn't fall or stumble into temptation. And now he's building upon this by giving an example of his own life of how he's willing to give up everything, give up all his rights for the sake of the gospel being proclaimed and for the sake of loving his brothers and sisters. In chapter 9, Paul will point out three particular things. He'll use his own status as an apostle to show how we all have personal rights given to us. And after explaining how he has his own rights as an apostle, he'll make the case that we should all be willing to give up those rights if it makes the ability of someone else to live, or it makes our ability to proclaim the gospel more available. And finally, Paul will conclude this section by making a final comparison, showing that self-control and discipline help us sacrifice our own rights. In all this, I propose that the main idea that Paul is trying to make is this, that our rights should never get in the way of the gospel, that the gospel is our main pursuit and nothing should take priority over that, including our rights and our privileges. Maybe another way to say this is that our rights should never get in the way of a person's ability to receive eternal life and to live in light of eternity. With that being said, let's first look at Paul's understanding of personal rights. From verses 1 through 14, Paul uses a series of rhetorical questions to make two distinct points. In verses 1 and 2, Paul uses his questions to make the point that he's an apostle. He asks if he's free, meaning that he has the ability to, to serve freely the Lord Jesus. Then he goes on to ask, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not, working, are you not my working in the Lord? In these questions, Paul is referring to the original call that the Lord Jesus gave himself in Acts chapter 9. That at this point, Paul was persecuting the Christian church. And 
At this point, he was also called Saul. But as he was persecuting the church, he, he saw the glory of the Lord Jesus, and it changed his whole life. Then upon seeing the Lord Jesus, he was blind, and then the Lord Jesus sent Ananias uh, to go and basically heal him, give him back his sight, and commission him to go and proclaim the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. That was his encounter with the Lord, and that was the call that the Lord placed on his life. This is the assignment that God gave Paul, and this is what he's referring to here in this section of 1 Corinthians. Now, Paul, as an apostle, was sent out to proclaim the good news of Christ Jesus, and the Corinthians were part of this mission of going to the Gentiles. And because of this, Paul was the one who helped found the Corinthian church, and that's what he speaks of in verse 2, that the Corinthians were his seal of his apostleship. And after asserting his position as apostle, he he begins to now transition to explain the rights that he has as an apostle, particularly with the financial compensation that he's allowed to take of proclaiming the gospel. Again, Paul is using rhetorical questions to make this point, and he speaks in verses 4 of the right to eat and to drink. And then in verse 5, he speaks of his right to have a believing wife or a, a companion to come along with them to proclaim the gospel. And this is probably a reference to the, the many couples that were sent out to proclaim the gospel to the far reaches of the world, that a husband and wife would serve alongside one another in being a minister of God's word, of bringing that to the nations. Then verse 6, Paul brings these two rights together by asking, do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? And what Paul is saying here is that he has the right to receive financial support and sustainment through his work. And only does have, have this right, but if he decided to bring a spouse with him, she too would also have the right to be supported by her work in the gospel. And this becomes clearer in verse 7 when he speaks of the world institutions that support those who work for them. Before a soldier goes into battle, he's provided a uniform and the armor and all the weapons that are needed to, to go to war. He also says that the farmer, as he plants and cultivates the crops in the vineyard, he also enjoys the harvest the fruits that he's able to gather from his hard work. And he says that the shepherd who cares for his flock and milks the flock is also able to take some of the milk from his flock for his own self. And as he speaks from this human perspective, Paul is saying that all these individuals have a right to receive payment and compensation from their work. And in a similar way, Paul, as an apostle, has a right to receive this compensation from his work in the gospel. But Paul just doesn't speak of this right from a human perspective. He also speaks it from a religious and a biblical perspective. In verse 9, Paul quotes from the law of Moses, specifically from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 4, that says, Don't muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. And by this, he means that the, moxion, the ox should not be muzzled or, or to be hampered in a way that prevents it from eating the grain that it crushes or threshes out on the ground. Just as the soldier or the farmer and the shepherd can be supported by their means of work, so can the ox. But why does Paul mention this verse? Well, this larger section of Deuteronomy speaks to how certain individuals are to be treated. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, Paul speaks of how the hired worker who is poor and who is in need is not to be oppressed, that they should be given their wages at the end of the day. After they finish all their work, you shouldn't withhold the things that they earn, that they should be given to them quickly. Moses then goes on in verses 17 through 21 and explains that the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, they all should receive the, 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 the extra grain or the olives or the grapes that fall on the ground. 
and this is how they're to be supported and cared for, that though they might not have food or the means to, to work, that they can still receive this. If they wanted the ability to, to have the outskirts of society still supported, to be fed and to live. Moving into the first part of chapter 15, or chapter 25, Moses tells the Israelites that the one who deserves to be punished after being found guilty of a crime should be punished in proportion to this crime, that it's not more or less of what they did. And it's, with all this, it's within all this context that brings us to what Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians, that the ox is not to be muzzled while it treads grain, that it deserves for what it's worth, that it deserves its reward worthy of its work. So putting all this together, the overall point that Paul's trying to make here is that his role as an apostle does not disqualify him from receiving the, the financial benefits from his work. He has a biblical support, and he has a world support for that. And this is why Paul goes on to verses 10 through 14 saying, Isn't he, being Moses, really saying it about for our sake? Yes, it's written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much to, to, that we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Just as the laborer who, who has hope in sharing the, uh, the crops that he works for, that as he labors to, to, to get, so does those as an apostle or those who are in gospel ministry have the ability to hope and receive the reward for the labor that they do. And then continuing on in verse 13, Paul says, Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. And in this last example that Paul uses, he's referring back to what Jesus himself says. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, and he says that as they go into villages and towns, they're not to bring extra money or clothes or food. That those who they stay within those towns and those who they preach to are to support them, to, to feed them, to give them money so that they can continue their ministry. These are the rights that God has ordained for his disciples. And Paul, as an apostle, as one who's been sent by the Lord himself, also is able to receive these rights that have been given to him. Two things that we can learn from this. The first is that we should not deprive those who are ministers of God's word and shepherds of God's flock from, from receiving what is due to them. That's why in 1 Timothy, Paul quotes Deuteronomy again, and he says that the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and that the worker is worthy of his wages. We want to honor those who work hard and who labor day in and day out, caring for God's church, shepherding God's church, and feeding them God's word. And this is why a portion of all the giving that comes into City Refuge is used to support those who preach and to teach. That supports Jaywell as his role as the, the chief or as the under shepherd here at City Refuge, as the lead pastor here at City Refuge. And as a church that wants to empower the congregation to make decisions, this is why we review the budget. That's why the, 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 the salaries are on the budget, and we review those and say, do they need to be adjusted? Do, do those who, who lead and teach us, do they deserve something more for the hard work they're doing? That we invite you into that budget process so that you can care for those who oversee you. 
and the ability to care and provide for the ministers of the gospel are also why a portion of your giving at City Refuge goes to support our missionaries and our other church planners throughout the, throughout the city and throughout the world, really. That we don't want them to worry about when their next paycheck will come or how to make ends meet. That their major concern should be about bringing God's plan of salvation and redemption to the ends of the earth. We want them to focus on that, not about their finances. Their priority is to be the one who brings God's word to people. That's why we want to support them and care for them. Our God is a generous God, and he will always provide for his servants, but he provides through the generosity of his people. And we need to be mindful of that as God's people. The second thing we can learn from this is that we all have a certain level of rights that have been given to us. And as we've seen, we have the right to be fairly compensated for the work that we've done. And to tie in what Paul wrote in chapter 8, we all have the right to do what we wish as long as it's lawful and within the bounds of Scripture. But in certain situations, we have to be willing to give up those rights, all for the sake of loving our brother or our sister. And Paul's about to pick up this idea on the rest of chapter, or throughout the rest of chapter 9. In verse 15, Paul reaches the climax of his argument as he says that he has not used any of these rights, and he he doesn't intend to start using those rights anytime soon, saying, hey, Corinthians, I'm not asking you to give me money. I'm just using this as an example of how I'm willing to risk everything, to sacrifice it all for the sake of the gospel. And that's why he says it's better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast, speaking of how he's not getting paid to do the gospel ministry. Now, this isn't that Paul's trying to put himself on a high pedestal, a pedestal and boast about his work. In fact, Paul's audience would have seen the very opposite take place. During this time period in culture, it's very normal for these big-name speakers to travel all throughout the Greco-Roman world to, to preach their, their knowledge and the wisdom about whatever it is that they had, whether it be about philosophy or science or something along those lines. That as they would go out teaching and, and speaking on these things, that, that's how they would receive uh, their money. That's how they made a living was speaking at all these engagements, speaking to thousands of people. And Paul's doing the opposite of that. He's saying that I have none of that. I support myself. That's why he says that he's doing this for free. That Paul must have felt that there was some stumbling block or something that hindered him from preaching the gospel if it wasn't free. Something that would have caused others to fall. And that's why he's doing it on on his own ability, that he's doing his own hard work as a tent maker to proclaim the gospel. He doesn't want to be a stumbling block. He continues on in verses 16 through 18, saying that he's been compelled to preach, again speaking of Christ's divine call on Paul to go to the Gentiles. He goes on to say that he preached the gospel without compensation. Willingly, he would have a reward. It's kind of like me saying that if I go fix someone's bike for free, my reward is fixing the bike for free. On the contrary, Paul says that his compulsion to preach the gospel without cost is him being entrusted with a commission, being that he's being a good steward of the ministry that the Lord Jesus gave him, that he's being a faithful servant to his master. That's what it's all about. And by saying these things, Paul's wanting the Corinthians to see the genuineness of his ministry, that he isn't boasting about his preaching, but rather boasting about the fact that he's giving up everything because the gospel's so much better. He's saying that I don't need to be paid because the gospel needs to go forth. And this stands in contrast to what the Corinthians are doing in chapter 8, where they're boasting about their freedom and their rights of eating whatever food's been sacrificed to idols. They're saying, this is this good thing that I'm doing, 
that I can eat whatever I want, and Paul's saying you can't do whatever you want, that sometimes you have to give up your rights for the sake of something so much better. This is why Paul says in verse 18 that his reward is to preach the gospel and to offer it free of charge, not making full use of his rights. That his whole aim in the section is to show how it's worth, again, so much more to give up your rights and privileges because the gospel is better. That I can lay those things down because of what my Lord is leading me to do. And this becomes very clear in verses 19 through 23. As Paul writes that even though he is free and not anyone's slave, being that he doesn't live under anyone else's authority, and he's made himself to be a slave to everyone in order to win more people. He says that he becomes like a Jew to win the Jews, that he becomes like the one who's under the law to win those who are under the law. This means that he would have reasoned with the Jews and showed them how the Old Testament scriptures all pointed to Christ. He would have followed the ceremonial customs of the Jews as he was ministering to them. And we see this take place with Timothy, his disciple in the faith, that he was circumcised as he was going to be sent out to the Jews. That Timothy would have been a stumbling block if he wasn't, so therefore he was circumcised. Similarly did the same for those who are without the law. Only here, Paul adds the caveat that he was still under the law of Christ, being that he wouldn't do anything that Christ wouldn't himself have done. That he would still follow the moral law of Christ, and he wouldn't compromise the moral law just for the sake of winning people over, but he became like people who were without the law so that he, he could minister to them. Finally, Paul says that he became like the weak in order to win the weak. That he's become like all things to all people so that he may save people in every possible way. Considering what Paul wrote earlier in chapter 8, this is probably a reference to how he wouldn't eat in the temple of the places where food is being offered up after being sacrificed to idols that you can now eat this and purchase it. He's like, if I do that, I'll become a stumbling block, so I'm giving up my right to eat whatever I can for the sake of the gospel. Again, the whole reason that Paul is trying to lay out these questions and statements is to continue his train of thought from verse 13, chapter 8. That if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I'll never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand how much they should be willing to give up if it means loving their brother and sister. Or that's what he said in, in chapter 8, but now he's picking up on this idea and he expands upon it by saying that the Corinthians should be willing to sacrifice their own rights all for the sake of the gospel going forward and exalting Christ. Family, we have many rights and privileges that have been given to us. We have the right to choose what we do with our time, but maybe we need to sacrifice the things that we want to do in our time so that we can spend more time with others, so that we can be more present with others, so that we can invest in them and disciple them and, and just to hear what they're doing and get to know them. We have the right to spend our money on whatever we like, but maybe instead of buying a pair of shoes or spending money on that vacation, we say, we're not going to do that. We're sacrificing that right to spend money on whatever we can so that I can support this other missionary or so that I can increase my giving to these other people that are faithfully proclaiming the word of God. Or maybe there's another organization that is trying to, to care for those who are impoverished or something along those lines that you want. I need to support them instead of doing this thing for me. We have the right to be comfortable, to do the things that make us happy. But maybe we need to sacrifice our own comfort and happiness to better love our spouse or to better serve our roommate. Can we give up our own things that we want, our own desires for the sake of someone else so that they can flourish, so that they can have life? 
So throughout this week, we we take a few moments and truly seek the Lord to see if he's asking you to give up anything. We take a few moments with the Lord and say, Lord, I want to come before you humbly, seeing if I need to sacrifice anything. Lord, how can I better love this person? Or how can I go and sacrifice the things that I want so that your word will go forth, so that your gospel was heard by people? Will we invite him into that and seek him this week as you do that? Well, after explaining how he's given up his own rights for the sake of the gospel, Paul concludes chapter nine by, chapter nine by using one final example. He makes a comparison of, of his sacrifice to that of a runner who was in a race. In a culture where athletics and competition were highly praised, it would have made sense for Paul to use this as an analogy. No, no runner would have joined the race just for fun. And so they would have run with the intention of winning a prize. And similarly, Paul is telling the Corinthians to run as if, as if they were trying to win a prize, as if they were trying to live their lives with a sense of purpose. And because they want to win a prize, in verse 25, Paul says that the runners are self-controlled in all that they do. And as a runner, I can understand what Paul is trying to say here. That as I continue to train for a half marathon coming up in a few months, I, ha- I have to discipline my body and train it so that it's ready for a race. That sometimes it means I sacrifice a few hours of sleep so that I wake up early in the morning before the heat of South Carolina comes, where I run mile after mile to train my muscles for this work. Maybe it also means I have to discipline my mind that I eat more carbohydrates and proteins that I forsake having a bowl of ice cream or these other sweets and junk food because I want my body to be fueled correctly so that it has the energy and the nutrients that it needs to run this race. And I do all this, I endure all this discipline. I I self-deny the things that I want to do because I want to win the prize. That I want to wear that t-shirt that says I I won this race and to wear the medal that I get from finishing this race. That's the purpose in all that. So for Paul, if the runner is able to be this disciplined and to sacrifice the things that they want to receive a perishable crown, one that will fade away, How much more should we discipline ourselves and sacrifice our rights for the imperishable crown that we will receive that will never fade away, of being with God in the fullness of glory, being in his presence? That's the imperishable crown that God's given us. And he says, run after that. Sacrifice everything you can to run after that prize. Therefore, in verse 26, Paul says he doesn't run aimlessly or just beat the air. Rather, he says that he trains himself with the purpose in mind. Just like I said, that we, we, sometimes we have to self-deny ourselves to these rights and privileges because we're training with the purpose of running after Christ and his gospel and his kingdom. And he does this so that Paul will not disqualify himself by, by saying, hey, do these things, yet I'm not going to do it. He's saying, I'm disciplining my body and sacrificing everything, including getting paid for the sake of the gospel, and I want you to do the same thing. Now, you might be asking yourself, why is it that we're able to sacrifice our own rights, or why, why do we do this? Well, Paul speaks of this in Philippians chapter 2 when he says that we're to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who emptied himself by assuming the role of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Family, we can fall in the way of Paul by giving up our own rights and giving up our own privileges for the sake of the gospel because Paul was following the example of Christ. 
and Christ gave up everything to make the gospel effective. And Christ, though he had all the rights and privileges that were given to him as the Son of God, he gave them up as he left his heavenly throne and took upon himself human flesh, the, the humbleness and the meekness of human flesh. And even though Christ had all the power and authority in his hands, he gave them up as he carried his own cross on the way up to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And then Christ, as he hung upon the cross, he gave up his own right to life as he took upon himself the sins of the world and bore the fullness of God's wrath against sin as a punishment for sin. And as he bore this full penalty of sin, Christ Jesus died the death that we all deserve so that we may live. And he died the death we all deserve so that his righteousness will be given to us. That there's been a beautiful exchange where our sin has been put upon him and now his righteousness has been put upon us. So when God looks at us, he sees his son's righteousness. And now for those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith and hope and confidence in Christ, they can say that they have been made clean by his blood and they can rest in the confidence of knowing that they will dwell with Christ Jesus for all eternity. That's the imperishable prize that they've been training for, and they know with confidence that we will receive that prize. This is the gospel message. And this is the message that Paul wants us to be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of, of bringing this to the ends of the world. But the good news doesn't just end there. That Christ hasn't left us alone to do this work, this hard work of sacrificing things for the sake of him by ourselves. That he's given us his Holy Spirit who abides with us and in us so that we are empowered to sacrifice the things that are hard to give up. So that we're empowered to, to, to rest in knowing that Christ is so much better than the rights that we have here in this present day. So in those moments when it seems too difficult to sacrifice your own rights and privilege, you can cry out to God saying, Lord, I don't want to give this up. Please help me. Or, Lord, this thing that I love so much, I, I don't think that I can let this go. Will you help me to let go of these things? Lord, will you pry them out of my hand so that I can live holy to you? And as you cry out for help, you can rest knowing that God's divine power will come upon you. You can rest knowing that your desires will become more like his desires. And you can trust that God's spirit will move in the ways that you need him to in order to fully follow Christ. And that's why God says that his grace is sufficient, that his power is made perfect in our weakness so that we'll boast all the more gladly about our weakness because we know that as we do that, as we confess our weakness to God, he will give us his strength. He'll give us his power, his ability to live for the things that he wants. And what good news is that, that God hasn't left us alone to be able to do that, that he empowers us to do that. And he says, keep coming to me because I'll freely give you the grace that's needed to do that. But if you haven't yet decided to pursue this Jesus, to rest on the fact that he gave up his own life for you out of love, will you consider doing that today? Will you consider giving up your own right to, to living a life that's solely dedicated to the things that you want so that you're dedicated to the things that God wants for you, of the life that God wants to give you? Again, the rescue swimmer motto was that others may live and this motto considers that a great sacrifice may be needed to preserve life or to save life. It can mean that the rescue swimmer must give up the right to comfort in order to dive into cold water. It can mean that they must give up the right to safety by navigating dangerous waters and vessels that are being tossed around by the waves. It can even mean that they may have to give up their own right to life in order to save someone else and give them the opportunity to live. 
This is, this is the call for all the men and women who risk everything to guard those who find themselves in the water. And likewise, this is the same call that we have as we pursue Christ, of being willing to give up everything that we have, our rights, our privileges, all our material possessions for the sake of following him, for the sake of letting others taste and see that the Lord is good, that they may have the ability to, to taste in this life that he wants to offer them. So what rights can you give up so that others may live with the God who gives everlasting life? Will you pray with me? Father, your word tells us that you will lead us down paths of righteousness. And we pray now, Lord, that you will help us down that path of righteousness. Lord, I pray that you will search us and know us, that you will try our thoughts and reveal to us what is displeasing to you so that we may repent and turn towards you, Lord Jesus. And Father, as we do that, show us how we can better follow you Allow others to even live a life that's devoted to you. And God, as you reveal those things to us, remind us that the blood of Christ was shed so that we may be clean. Remind us how the blood of Christ gives us power that will never lose its power, Lord. Remind us that you are the God full of grace, full of mercy, full of compassion, and that the work that you have started in us, you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And Lord, it's in your name that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. And please stand and sing with us.